Lord, I thank you for this day you've given us today. Lord, thank you for this chance to come and share your word. Lord, I pray that, there, that this word is given with clarity. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit just be all over this thing. Lord, that's not my words, but your words, not my thoughts, but your thoughts. Lord, I pray that as we dig into not just the seed, not just the time, but we dig into the harvest. Lord, I pray that you would just speak clearly to us. Lord, that you would just speak something deep within us. Lord, that, that, that this is a challenge to us to reach out to our neighbors, to reach out to our loved ones, to reach out with the love and mercy of Christ. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the last few weeks, we've been digging into this timely message of seed, time, and harvest. And so in week one, we focused on the seed. That we as Christians, it's our job to sow seed, amen? That's what we do. We sow seed wherever we go. We want to be sowing seed. Remember the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 4, that the sower sows the word. Remember we talked about the sower sows the word or sows the seed. That it might land on hard soil, it might land on fertile soil, but it's not our job to judge the soil, it's our job to sow the seed. It's not our job to judge the soil, it's our job to sow the seed. You can't say, well, you know, I just don't think those people are going to accept it, so I'm not even going to share Christ with them. I, I don't think those people are even going to receive it, so I'm not even going to bother to share Christ with them. It's not our job to judge the soil, it's our job to sow the seed. Amen? Last week, then, we focused on this annoying little element of time. This time thing, this, this where we have to wait. That we live in a society that hates to wait, remember? We, we talked about how this, this, we, we love instantaneous things. There was a survey done of 6.7 million internet users. And how many remember it was, uh, the survey was to find out how long they would stay on a video how long they would wait for the video to load before they moved on. Some people said 10 seconds. Some people said 5 seconds. Some guy I know said 10 minutes, and that didn't really make a lot of sense. It was 2 seconds. 2 seconds, and if the video didn't start within 2 seconds, they were moving on. We live in this society where we don't like to wait. And then we talked about what to do while you're waiting. So while you're waiting between the seed and the harvest, what do you do while you're waiting? So if you want to go to the next slide, the first thing we talked about was that you water the seed. How do you do that? You do that with prayer. Amen? I almost tripped right there. That was good. <laughs> the second thing, I'm here to entertain people. <laughs> the second thing is have faith in the principles that God has set up. Have faith in the principles God set up seed, time, and harvest. I see you laughing over there. <laughs> Have faith in the principles that God has set up. And then the third thing was that we keep sowing seed. We can't just say, well, I, I sowed the seed. Now I'm just going to wait, see what happens. No, because that waiting period could be a long time. Remember we talked about that guy, Luke Short. I remember the, I remember the story of Luke Short. He was sitting on a hedge, and he was remembering a sermon that had been preached to him, and remembering that sermon that had been preached to him, he gave his life to the Lord. But the sermon wasn't preached to him that week or even that year. It had been preached to him 85 years earlier. Then 85 years later, that seed came to harvest. Amen? What do we do while we're waiting? We keep sowing seed. So first we looked at the seed, then we looked at time. 
This week, I want to finish this series with a look at the entire process, ending with the harvest. We have to look at the entire process. You see, now, it doesn't always happen this way, but there are times, there are special times, just God's grace, where you go and you sow the seed and you cultivate the ground and you see the harvest right away. How many, has that ever happened to anybody? Where you go and you just sow the seed and you're, you share Christ with somebody they never heard of Christ before? They never even, I mean, there, there's no, there's no uh, recollection in their mind of them hearing about it. And you go and you share Christ with them. And you start speaking into their lives and all of a sudden you see that seed start to grow. And then all of a sudden they say, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to give my life to Christ. And that's the harvest. Amen? Sometimes there's a special grace for that. We want to look at the example of that in John in chapter 4. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to John in chapter 4, it says this in verses 1 through 6. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, he, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Do not move on to the next slide yet. I want to focus on this for just a minute. Here we have Jesus. We're in Samaria. We're in this small town of Samaria called Sychar. It would be as if Let's, let's put it in, in our vernacular, that they were in Iowa, and they were in a small town in Iowa called Esterville. Do you know what I'm saying? So he's in this small town in Samaria called Sychar, and he's tired. He had just been on this journey, this long journey. The Bible says that he was tired. But the well there is a gathering place. It's where the people of town came to, to gather, to, to come for water. It was about lunchtime. And his disciples decided to go for some food because it's lunchtime. How many know in about an hour here, people are going to get hungry and want to go get some food? Nobody's going to want to eat? How many are going to eat lunch after this? There's some liars here. How many are going to eat lunch after this? I'm going to eat lunch? This is what the disciples did. They went and ate lunch. When, but they leave Jesus there. They leave Jesus at the well. He's tired. He's tired, and he's just going to wait. And while he's waiting, something happens. Go to the next slide. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. If you'll remember from previous teachings, the Samaritans were not on the best terms with the Jews. Remember? The Jews referred to them as dogs. Referred to them as dogs. They don't want to associate with Samaritans. Are you kidding me? I'm a Jew. I'm pure-blooded. I I serve the one true God. I'm not going to associate myself with these dogs, the Samaritans. And so when Jesus asked this Samaritan woman, will you give me a drink? At first, she just caught off guard. Why would you ask me for a drink? You're a rabbi. You're a Jew. 
It was unknown. But the woman is surprised here, but Jesus is about to sow a seed here. I want to show you this process in that Jesus is about to sow the seed here. The opportunity was here, and despite his being tired, he saw her not as a bothersome person, but as an opportunity to sow seed. How many ever been there? How many, how many ever been tired? Ever been tired? I mean, I don't mean just, well, I'm a little bit tired today at the end of the day, you know. I mean bone tired. You could be laying there and people think you're dead. Just tired. Just, you lay down, just, my legs ache, my arms ache. I, I, <laughs> I remember. Doug, where you at? Doug, you ever get tired, Doug? Last night? Last night. Doug, you, you get tired, and this could be anybody. This would be me sometimes. That you go home, you're tired. You take off your shoes. You let them air out a little bit. Those dogs are barking, right? You know? So you go, you go and you sit back in your recliner. You sit down and you put, you put your feet up. <sighs> right? You just kind of, oh. my legs, they ache a little bit, but now they're starting to feel better. All of a sudden, the phone rings. You ever get this? I sit back, my recliner, I put it up. I remember once, oh, I was so excited. Michigan was playing Michigan State. I was excited for this game. I was like, all right. I did all my work for the day. I went home. I got some food. I sat in front of the, uh, sat in front of the TV. I got in my recliner. I sat down. I, I put my feet up. I said, okay, I'm ready. Whew. All of a sudden, my phone rang. And I went, who's this Yahoo? Don't they know the Michigan game's on? Don't they know I'm tired? And I answered the phone. And I kid you not, the guy says, hey, listen, I'm really going through it. Can you meet me for coffee? Like right now. Oh, thank the Lord for DVR. <laughs> and then I had to stay away from Facebook because everybody puts a score on there. I, got, I went and met with them. It was all good. But, but you ever get where you're just so tired and you lean back and, and all of a sudden the phone rings and someone needs you to do one more thing. This, Jesus was tired, tired, weary. He sits down to rest at the well, and all of a sudden this opportunity comes. Jesus didn't see her as a, as, as a bothersome person, but a person that was in need of grace. Amen? I have a question. Do we sometimes get wrapped up in ourselves and our stuff that we don't even see the people around us. We don't even see, not, we might look at them just a bothersome person. Not a person in need of grace, not a person in need of mercy, not a person in need of Christ, just, just I'm busy with my stuff. I'm at the store, I'm shopping, I got to get in, get out, get what I got to get. We get in, we do our stuff, and it's kind of funny because we get in, we, we, we mean to just kind of get our stuff done, but we run into people, right? You run into people in the store, the grocery store, just recently. You run into people at the gas station, you, you're just trying to get out, put my gas in, pump, get out, get out, let's go. We get in such a hurry sometimes, 
We get so caught up in our stuff, I wonder, do we see the people around us that need the grace and mercy of Christ? Jesus is sitting here and he's tired. The Samaritan woman comes and he says, you know, can you give me a drink? And then this is where he starts to sow the seed. Verse 10 says this. The next slide. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered her, and here's the seed. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Right there, he sowed the seed. Right there, he sowed the seed. He said, basically, I'm, I'm eternal life. I'm the living water. If you want some water, I got some water to give you. I once heard a minister, uh, a, a, a woman at the FCA conference, her name is Ellie LaFaro, and really just a dynamic minister. If you ever have a chance to hear her, please go do so. And she was talking to ministers, and she said, never forget that your job as a minister, your job as a Christian, is to give living water to those who are thirsty. Never forget that your job is to give living water to those who are thirsty. Why? Because there are people who are thirsty in this world for truth. There are people who are thirsty in this world for Christ. They're, they're, they're thirsty for salvation. They will drink anything that comes their way because they are thirsty. They will drink drugs and sex and alcohol. They will drink anything. They will drink media and friends and everything else. They will drink it all because they are thirsty. Until we let them know there is living water that will truly quench your thirst. Now, how many know that sometimes when you share the gospel with people, they're not always very receptive to it. How many know that sometimes they're just like, <laughs> okay, they'll roll their eyes, kind of walk away. I see some of you people doing that right now. What's going on? Nah, <laughs> you share the gospel and they do, okay, sure. I want to look at the, the, so Jesus says this. Jesus says, the water I give you, you'll never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What is the woman's response? The woman's response is this in verse 15. Go to the next slide. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, I want to stay on this for just a second because there's two schools of thought on how this response is taking place. What she says can be seen two ways. The first is this, genuineness. Sir, I, I'm genuinely, uh, what they call genuine ignorance. As she doesn't know, so she, there's an ignorance to it, but she's genuine in her, in her inquiry. 
sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I mean, can you give me this water? There's a genuineness to it. That is one way that it's viewed. The other way that it's viewed is this, that she's scoffing. It's disbelief. She's basically kind of boldly saying, okay, give me this water that I won't be thirsty again. Most theologians will, will agree with this part of it. They'll say, they'll say yeah, she, she wasn't quite there. <laughs> she didn't quite grasp a hold of what Jesus was saying. They'll, they'll, there, there's debate on it, but I, le- I, I lean towards this because Jesus then goes to cultivate the ground. How does he cultivate the ground with, the, with this woman? While he's tired, he's at the well, the woman comes. She asks, he asks her for water. She's taken aback by it. She t- he talks about living water. She kind of scoffs at him. Says, sir, come on. Now, okay, give me this living water that I won't get thirsty. And then he says this. Go to the next slide. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. She replied, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now, (laughs) I want you to think about this in today's terms. I mean, this is like Maury Povich stuff, right? You are not the father or whatever it is, okay? Hey, you're right. You haven't just had, you're not married. You don't have a husband, but you've had five husbands. And the one that you're with now is not your husband. Jesus might have had a microphone and just kind of dropped it right there. It was that boom moment to where it took her back. How in the world could this guy know this? I mean, if, if I went to somebody, and I, let's say Bryce. Bryce is here. No, Bryce, you just got married. That's not good. Bobby, you're here. Let's just say so, generic somebody. I don't want to pick on anyone right now. But you say to them, they say, well, I have no husband. Yeah, I know you don't have a husband. In fact, I know that you've had five husbands. You can't even hold on to them. You've had five husbands. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I don't even know how old this woman is. I mean, let's think about it. She's had five husbands. I don't know the circumstances surrounding it. We don't go, we don't, we don't get into the circumstances surrounding it, but we know that she has five husbands, and the man she's living with now is not her husband. And so Jesus says, Yeah, what you're saying is quite true. And then that's like her wake-up call. This is her wake-up call. This is Jesus cultivating the ground. This is Jesus, he's planted the seed, and now he's cultivating the ground because this is what happens. Her response to Jesus shifts now from one to disbelief. One of disbelief to one of awe. I mean, he just read her mail. You know what that means? Have you ever had somebody read your mail before? You say, what do you mean? They read my mail? Like, like open up my mailbox? There are times in your life, and we talked about this when we talked about the gifts of the Spirit, where somebody will, will have deep insight into what's going on in your life. And they will be able to speak to a specific situation. 
And that's, called, that's what you call in Christian circles, they read your mail. Because there's no way they could have known that other than getting deep personal into your life. Right? But they had no way of knowing that other than the Spirit of God was speaking to them and they spoke to you. And now you're in awe. You're saying, whoa, hold on a second. How did he know that I've had five husbands and the man that I'm living with now is not my husband? How did he know that? So it goes from one of disbelief to one of awe. And at this moment, she starts to recognize his authority. Verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that this is the place where we must worship. The place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither in this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. He's talking about himself. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said this, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This woman is now in awe. Jesus cultivated that ground. How did he cultivate the ground? He spoke deep into her life. And there's no, there's no sense from Scripture, there's no sense from the language that it was like that he spoke harshly to her. There was no sense that he spoke harshly to her. There was no sense that, oh yeah, you've had five husbands. You can't even hang on to one. There's nothing like that, right? There's no, hey, you're right. The way that it reads is this. You're correct in saying that you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. So what you say is quite true. It's not this harshness, but, but it's, it's cutting. It's not this harsh kind of banger over the head with it, but it's this cutting into her heart. Saying, how did he know? what my life circumstance is now. God will give you the ability to read into people's lives. When you start sowing the seed, God will give you an ability to speak into their lives. You say, well, what are you talking about, Pastor Dave? Remember we talked about the, the gifts of the Spirit. We talked about these kind of revelatory gifts that when you start moving in and doing what the Spirit of God is already drawing you to do, when you start flowing in that, then you'll start flowing in the Spirit and those gifts will naturally come out. That when you are ministering the seed to people, the Holy Spirit will give you things to cultivate that ground, to root out those weeds, to water that seed. The way that Jesus does it here is speaking into her situation specifically. I think a lot of times we are afraid to step out. We're afraid to step out. Well, what will they say if I'm wrong? What, what will they say? Well, I mean, how are they going to look at me if I start preaching Jesus to them? And so a lot of times in our Christian faith, we're, we, we don't step out. 
we're, at the, we're with that person at the grocery store. I used to do this. I went to the grocery store, and I got in the, found the longest line I could. And I just got in it. I got in it, and I just waited. And people came up behind me, and I was in line. I had, like, one little thing or whatever it was. You know, I was going to buy something. But I got in line, and I would start to listen to the people in line. Are you kidding me? Why can't these people hurry up? Boy, this is taking forever. I got things to do. You ever been, have you ever, I'm not going to ask if you've said that. I'm going to ask if you've heard that. Are you kidding me? I got things to do. What, are they writing a check? Don't you know nobody writes checks anymore? And you get in line and you wait. And this is what would happen. Is inevitably, the people around me would start to complain. When one person complains, it's very easy to jump on board that train. Say, oh, yeah, I can't believe it. Come on, let's hurry up here. This is taking forever. And I would look at him and go, man, isn't this, and this is what I would say, isn't this a great opportunity to practice patience? Boy, isn't this a great opportunity to practice patience? And they'd look at me, and I'd look at them, say, yeah, this is just a great opportunity to practice patience, isn't it? Just a great opportunity practice patience. And it would give me time. Time, that, that, because that would kind of set them off guard. And then they'd give them time to start talking to them. I'd start talking to them. Yeah, I know you got things to do. I know we got places to be. But let's just take a minute so that I can pour living water into your life. Have you ever done that? Have we thought about that? That when we have places to go, do we take a look at the people around us and go, man, what if, what if today is their last day and I didn't share Christ with them? What if today is their last day and I didn't share Christ with them? There's an old survey, and this is a youth group thing. When I was a youth pastor, we used to ask the kids this. And the survey went like this. Bryce, if you only had 24 hours to live, what would you do? Spread the word of Christ? That was usually the top answer in a youth group. At a church youth group, number one answer was spread the word, right? And the answer was always this. Then why aren't you doing it now? Ouch. <laughs> Ouch, right? You go, well, I would, I would sow the word. I would share the gospel with everybody I know, right? And then the answer always came back. Well, then why aren't you doing it now? Because nobody knows how many days they have. I know that's a tough one. I, let's, let's move past that. Let's get to something more fun, Amen. Jesus has sown the seed here. He's cultivated the ground. He's cultivated the ground. Listen, God can and work, will work through you if you allow him to. God will work through you if you allow him to. Are you sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you daily? Are you sensitive? Am, listen, this is a message to you and to me. Am I sensitive? 
to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to me daily. I can't just put it on you. I have to put it on me too. Why? Because we get caught up in life. I got to go to my job. I got to do this. I got to get this. I got to talk to this person. I got this meeting. I got that meeting. I got to do this and this and this and this. Am I listening to what the Holy Spirit wants me to do in my life? Jesus has cultivated the ground. And as he finishes, the disciples show up. Verse 27 says this. On the next slide, please. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But nobody asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Messiah? They came out of town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. Rabbi, eat something. Those disciples, they could only think about food at the time. They're thinking about lunch. Rabbi, eat something. We got you some food. And his response is this. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And the disciples' response makes me laugh. Could someone have brought him some food? The disciples' response just kind of makes me laugh. Well, could somebody have brought him some food? I mean, we, we got you lunch. I mean, that's the way it's presented here. The, the disciples went and got lunch for everybody. They're bringing it back. They get there, and Jesus says, I have food that you know nothing about. And Peter's like, where's the food, man? Where's the food? Did somebody bring you food we don't know about? And Jesus' response is quick and cutting. And he says this. Go to the next slide. This is the most cutting response. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. We're going to get into it this morning. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I have a question. Is that your food this morning? My food, Jesus says, my sustenance, my everything is to do the will of my Father. Is is your food, is your sustenance to do the will of your Father? My everything. I can't breathe without doing the will of my Father. It is my food. It's what I take in. It's what gives me energy. It's what sustains me. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Have we ever been there? Have we ever been there where we just, we're just desperate for God? Have we ever been to a place where we are just desperate for God? Where, where we can literally say, my food, my everything, my sustenance, my everything is to do the will of God. Are we desperate to do the will of our Father? Are we desperate to do the will of our Father? I want to tell you the quick story here. I personally know of a, a preacher. His name is C.S. Updegrove. C.S. Updegrove is, is, is an um, older man now. He's 
probably near 80 or a little bit above 80s. And while he was younger, he desperately wanted to hear from the Lord. When he was younger, he desperately wanted to hear from the Lord. So he felt led to go to a cabin in the woods all by himself. And the only thing he brought with him. Now, before we move on, before I tell you the only thing he brought with him, Bryce, you go camping. Let's pick someone up. Uh, Steve. Steve Mann. You go camping sometimes? Yeah? What do you bring with you? Your family? What do you bring besides your family? Yeah? Why do you bring food? You got to eat, right? Why do you bring drinks? Okay. This guy went camping, and the only thing he brought with him was his Bible. A Bible. He said, that's the only thing I'm going to bring with me. He decided to go on a fast. And he said, that this, is, this is what he said. I will not eat until I have an encounter with God. I will not eat until I have an encounter with God. He said that God led him on this fast, and this is the reason, to allow God to drive the fleshly desires out of my spirit, my soul, and my body. I knew that if there had to be more of him, then there had to be less of me in my personal life and ministry. I remember him speaking about this time in his life, and he said basically the first few days weren't so bad. A couple days later, he started to have visions, but the visions weren't from God. He said they were fried chicken and mashed potatoes. (laughs) However, he kept on fasting. At one point during the fast, and you say, if, if people aren't familiar with fasting, basically what you're doing is fasting is you're stopping yourself from eating food and taking that time and giving it to God. And then you, your spirit man, gets strengthened and your physical man gets lowered. And so fasting is, is, is a practice. And if you've never gone on an extended fast, I'm telling you, once you get two, three days in, that's That's tough. Once you get to day five or six, that's when the hunger pains start to kind of go away a little bit. And then you go a few more days and they start coming back again. It kind of goes ups and downs. I remember hearing this preacher and he said this, that, that at one point during the fast, he, he went for a walk in the woods. And while he was there, he, walk, he came across a carcass of a dead animal. I was trying to remember all the different points of this, and I called some people, and they said it was a cow. They said that that he had said it was a cow. And he looked down at that dead animal, and he saw the carcass, and it caused something within him to churn. It caused something within him to just move. And he, he, he just got determined. And he said this, God, I don't care if I end up like that carcass. I'm not going to leave here until you touch me. His desire, his food, his everything was hungry for God to touch him. Have we ever been there? Where we just get so hungry for God, so desperate for his presence, where we take drastic measures and actions 
Lord, what things do I need to get out of my life so that I can hear you better? What distractions do I need to to put aside from my life so that I can hear you better? Lord, what things do I need to just put aside? Maybe not even bad things, just things that are taking up your time. Just things that that are taking you away from the presence of God. The fast lasted 21 days. 21 days. It was during this 21-day fast that he had a powerful, powerful encounter. He was, <laughs> he, he was shown an angel. And the angel touched him and spoke to him. The, the man, as a young man, he had a, a full head of dark hair. But when he came out of those woods, his hair was bright white. And, had been that way, and has been that way ever since. Bright white. It was during this visitation, God spoke things to him through the angel regarding how he would be used to minister in the future. And as the concluding words from the angel were this, there will be healing in your hands. I don't know if you've ever heard of the ministry of C.S. Up the Grove, but what followed in the years was many, many people being healed through God. People were healed supernaturally of just about every terminal sickness and disease imaginable. And C.S. Up the Grove was just there saying, I want more of him and less of me. I want more of him and less of me. Jesus is saying this to his disciples. My food, my everything, my sustenance, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. I have food you don't even know about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Are you desperate for him this morning? Are, are we desperate for him this morning? I have to ask myself the same thing. Are there things in my life I can push to the side? Are there things in in my life that I just, I want to draw closer to him? I want to draw closer to him. Not because of how it's going to make me look to the church. Not because of how it's going to make me look to my neighbors. Not because of how it's going to, just because I know that without him I am nothing. Without him I am nothing. I want to get as close to God as possible. And if that means that I have to put down my own selfish things, then that's what it means. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus then goes on to speak to the disciples concerning the coming harvest. You see, he had, pre- he had sown the seed with the Samaritan woman. He had cultivated the ground, and the harvest was about to come. And so he says this to the disciples. Go down to the next verse, please. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open up your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. I tell you, open up your eyes. It's not later on that you've got to speak to them about Christ. It's not later on down the road. Well, Lord, I'll get to it eventually, you know. Lord, I'll get to it. You know, I know that they need to hear about Jesus, but I'll get to it eventually. I just don't want to bother them right now. You see, there's people that say, well, it's still four months away from the harvest. But Jesus says, right now is the time. Right now is the time. 
Don't wait. Tomorrow is promised to nobody. They are ripe for the harvest right now. Jesus isn't referring here to corn or wheat. He's referring to the seed that's just been sown, the ground that's been cultivated, and the harvest that was on its way. These Samaritan people were coming the way to the well, and the harvest was on its way. And and he, he had to tell the disciples, don't just say, well, we can talk to them later. You know, we can just talk to them. No, if you look now, they're ready. Now they're ready. There was a great analogy given about the harvest and about crops. And there's a time when, in, if you're a farmer, you know this, there's a time where uh, in picking the corn or picking up uh, the wheat or the beans or whatever it would be, there's a time where you can pick that's premature. Am I right? There's a time that you can pick that's premature. It's just not quite ready yet. And then there's a time that you can pick when it's almost rotten. If you wait too long, it gets to be nasty and rotten. You, no, you've got to pick it when the harvest is it's, it's the right time. Amen? It's the right time. And it's not four months from now, it's today. This is what Jesus is saying to the disciples. You don't want to miss an opportunity to bring in the harvest on time. It says this in verse 36 for the next slide. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others that have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Remember we talked about this last week. We talked about how sometimes you are gathering the harvest because of a seed somebody else sowed. Sometimes you are, you are leading somebody to Christ because their mother, 20, 30, 40, 50 years earlier, had been on her knees praying for them. Because their father had cried out to God, Lord, please save my son, save my daughter. Somebody else sowed the seed and you came and reaped the harvest. We spoke about that last week. But now we see here where the harvest comes in. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. This is the harvest. It's just coming in. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said to us. We don't believe just because of what you said to us. We believe because we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man is really the savior of the world. Here's what I find interesting about this. There's, there's something very interesting about this. Is the woman at the well, when she encountered Jesus, she went back to the people saying, could this be the Messiah? Now, the Messiah in Jewish culture, the Messiah was one, they thought he would uh, overtake a corrupt government. They thought that he would overthrow the government, and he would bring restoration to the people. This was the Messiah, okay? But when they encounter Jesus, they leave knowing that he's not just the Messiah, but he's the Savior of the world. It's not just, well, he's just my own little personal, you know, going to take care of things in my life. No, he's the Savior of the world. This is why I find this so interesting. The woman that encounters Jesus isn't quite sure what to make of him. She's not quite sure what to make of him. 
But when she goes, they encounter, she goes and tells, it, tells everybody, and then they encounter Jesus. And they spend at least two days with him. And through that encounter with Jesus, they see that he's the Savior of the world. It makes me wonder what people think about Jesus when they encounter him in my life. This is going to get tough. There's a saying in the church, how many ever heard this? You may be the only Jesus people ever see. You ever heard that before? You may be the only encounter with Jesus people ever have. In John chapter 17, uh, Jesus is praying for his disciples, and he prays this prayer over them. I love this prayer. He says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, that they might have the full measure of my joy within them. This is his prayer over the disciples. I have given them your word, and the, word has, and the world has hated them, for they are not of this world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And this is the prayer. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. You may be the only Jesus people ever encounter in their life. Have you thought about that? I might be the only Jesus people encounter in their lives. I wonder, am I a good representation? When people encounter me, what impression are they left of Christ? Do they see that he's the Savior of the world? Do, do they know that he is Christ? Because of my words, because of my actions, of my thoughts. When people encounter Bobby, when people encounter Bryce and Susie and Steve and Mike, when people encounter Carrie, are they encountering Christ? I'm going to pick on Carrie a little bit. Carrie, Carrie is like the most, I call her sunshine. She's just bubbly. Look at her smile. Just bubbly and fun, and I call her sunshine. I, you know what? I, I feel the love of God when I'm near Carrie. You know that? I do. I love it. Mark's a different story. But I, I'm just <laughs> He's not here. I can't do that. I feel the love of God when I'm near Carrie. You know that? I feel the love of God when I'm near Mary. He just loves people. Are people encountering Christ when they're near you? The bigger question is this. Have we prepared ourselves spiritually to bring in the harvest around us? Have we prepared ourselves spiritually? We talked about seed we talked about time. Now we'll talk about harvest. Have we prepared ourselves to bring in the harvest around us? 
Are we aware of those who are hurting and in need around us? Are we able to sow the seed and cultivate that ground to water it, to speak deeply and lovingly into their lives, and then see the harvest come? And when the harvest is there, take it up. Don't wait. Don't say it's four months from now. When it's there and it's ready, take it up. Have we prepared ourselves to be ready for the harvest? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the message this morning. Lord, I thank you for this word that challenges us to to look to those who are around us. Lord, I thank you for, for giving us opportunities to sow seed, to cultivate ground, to bring in a harvest. Lord, I pray that this week, that this month, that the remainder of this year and ongoing, that you would just put people in the paths of those who are here. People that just need Jesus. People that just need mercy and need grace in their lives. Lord, let those who are here be the ones to sow the seed and cultivate that ground and reap the harvest. Lord, if it's not them sowing the seed, let them be there to reap the harvest. Lord, let let our desire, let our food be for you. Let our everything be for you. Let My food is to do the will of my Father. Let that be my prayer. Let that be, let that be in my heart. Let that be what's within me. That my food, my sustenance, my energy, my everything would, be, would go towards doing what the Spirit of the Lord is directing me to do. Lord, I pray that you would just cause us to draw near to you this week. That you would just cause us to draw near to you. That we would just take a little bit of time out of our busy days and just spend time with you. Lord, maybe you're not directing us to go on a 21-day fast or whatever it would be. But, but Lord, that we would just take our time and just surrender it to you for a little bit each day. Just start us off with baby steps. That we may feel your presence. That we may experience your glory. that That we would be spiritually prepared to bring in the harvest. Lord, I thank you and praise you for your grace and mercy in my life, in our lives. Lord, I pray over each person that's here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would keep them. Lord, I pray that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, that you would give them rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Love you guys. We'll see you next week.